0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We've been talking about death in the afterlife. <laughs> We've been taking a look about what happens the moment after you die. Now, what would happen to you if you were to die right now, this very second, if today was your last service with us, this is the last time you were able to sit next to a friend or uh, hug your kids or, or say goodnight to your wife. Um, what if today was the last and and you were to stand before God, or maybe you don't believe in God or the afterlife. But if you were to die right now, the very this very second, this very minute, or sometime today, what would happen? Where would you go? There's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of uh, assumptions. There's a lot of uh, beliefs about it that send people in different directions about it. We've been kind of diving into what the Bible says about this very issue. Last week we we kind of focused primarily on death. And uh, for some, you know, it's denounced, it's debated, it's it's a kind of something a lot of people say, if you think you know anything about it, you're arrogant. You know, maybe you're sitting here today and say, Ted, how dare you say that you know what what you're talking about, because there's so many different opinions, and I would agree 100%. In fact, check out this video and see what kind of what people are saying about the afterlife. (laughs) When you die, you die. There's no more life in the body. I just think that's it. You know, I have a very scientific point of view on it. Turn into dust. Uh, they get cremated, they get buried, they donate their parts to science. We fall asleep forever, but we don't know. It's a mystery, it's a surprise. We were produced by evolution. We don't go to anywhere. I think it's like before we were born, you know? Heaven is for those who uh, repent and uh, feel like they atone for their sins and then they go up to heaven. I believe that we go into like the sky like as clouds or stars. I think if you're a good person um, and you're an honest person, I think that you probably will go to heaven, right? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying I don't know. And I think the people who talk about it with certainty don't know. I think it's nice to believe in that because it makes you feel... I believe heaven is a place that we'll be going after uh, after we die. Um, if you commit to Jesus as your personal Savior. I don't believe in hell because it doesn't exist. I don't believe hell is a real place. I believe that the hell could be here. Uh, I don't want to go there. I think hell definitely does exist. There's hell on Earth, there's hell in the afterlife. Because if there has to be a heaven, and we all hope that there is, there has to be an opposite of that. Maybe not like fire and like brimstone like you think, but more of like a state of mind. I think that's a really horrible thought, and nobody on Earth would be that horrible, and they shouldn't have to deal with that, you know? I feel like hell is probably more like a timeout from heaven, as opposed to somewhere where he sends people to suffer for eternity. Because, like you said, I don't know how a, uh, a loving God could, could take people there forever. I think it's a, the, the person's decision. Um, I think people send themselves to hell because he gave us free will, so... Depends on who they're sending. I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with Hitler going to hell. I mean, you know, what's the downside of that? Well, if someone has done something really, really bad, like, killed someone, so probably he would be sent to hell. It's funny. They say God is almighty and all-powerful, but then they're saying, why would God do this? If he's almighty and all-powerful, why are you questioning him? You know, he does what he does, or she does what she does, or it does what it does, you know? We make the decision, and once we receive Christ into our hearts, then we will go to heaven. Everybody has a second chance every day. See, here's the reality. This is what you believe about the afterlife determines how you live this life. And what you believe about the afterlife determines where you will live the next life. And so this matters a lot. A lot of people, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to focus on it. In fact, depending on what you believe about the afterlife, what kind of determine the kind of things that you do in this life. For example, if you think that everybody goes to heaven, then you might, you know, not really weigh heavy on the choices that you make, because, hey, it'll all work out at the end. We're all going to go to heaven, um, except for really bad people, and then you hope they don't go to heaven. But you might think, or maybe you think that heaven, uh, you get there by works, by being a good person. As long as you outweigh your your good uh, more than the bad, then you're going to try to tally up a score with God, and you're going to spend your whole life trying to make sure and keep a tally of of your good and your bad actions, or maybe you believe in reincarnation, you're you're kind of keeping a record of karma, and you want to make sure that you have more karma, than, uh, good karma than bad karma, because you don't want to come back as someone poor, you'd rather come back as a millionaire, or come not back as an animal, but something of at least better than you are, so you work, you know, and if you mess it up, well, at least you got eternity to fix it, if you believe in reincarnation. If you're an atheist, you might not even believe in the afterlife at all, and you, you might strive to be a good person and try to be a good person, but the choices that you make don't have as much weight and value on them because you don't really believe that your choices have eternal consequences or values. Now, if you're pagan, you might worship weird, uh, uh, I'm sorry for saying that, Uh, you might worship spirits that just kind of cause you to kind of connect with the, you might think that you die and go into a spirit realm of nothingness, like a Hindu, where you're just kind of one with the, with, with the, you know, peace, and, and it's more of a presence and a feeling. The point is, what you believe about it determines how you live this life, and what you believe about it determines where you live in the next life. So I want to go over three D's today, and uh, the first one is one that we talked about last week, so I'm just going to touch on it quickly, and the first D is death. Death. There's so many misconceptions about what we're going to talk about today, and so many misconceptions about death. But we know this: death is certain. Uh, there's there's one thing you don't know where if you're going to get that job, if you're going to ever attain to that house, that car, that career, if you're going to be single your whole life, you don't know. But there's one thing for certain: we're all going to die. Every one of you here, it might even be today. Some of you, this might be your last day. Perhaps God brought you here to this moment right now for this for this message. For this challenge, because today is your last day. It's probably the most painful fact of life. The verse that we really focused in on last week was Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, just as we are, or people are, destined to die once. Everybody say once. That one verse denounces reincarnation and also denounces the idea that you can come back and haunt somebody or a house or hang out with your family in, in, in the house or in a, some kind of location. And we don't, we don't get to hang out. In fact, the Bible says that ghosts are demons impersonating people because we are destined to die once. And then it says, and after that, we face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once, to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. As sure as Jesus died once, you will die once. Here's the second thing about death. Not only is it certain, but our body will separate from our spirit. Now, I used the illustration last week of a glove, and I put that glove on my hand. And when you saw that glove, you didn't think the glove was alive. You knew that my hand was inside the glove. And at no point did you think, the glove is alive. No, because you knew the only thing that was truly alive was inside the glove. See, our bodies, the Bible says, are tents. They're gloves for our soul, for our spirit. And there will come a day when this life is over that our glove will be separated from our... Spirit and there will be a, a, a separation between our body and our soul. Jesus referred to it in Matthew 1028 He says, "Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, uh, who can only kill the body, but cannot kill the soul they 're separate. He says, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, man, you need to have a reverent understanding of who God is, for he holds your eternity in his hands. Don't be so afraid of those that can hurt you, but you need to have a reverent fear of the one who holds your soul in his hand as well. Now, by the way, this is a footnote. There's a lot of talk about body, soul, and spirit. Some will say that we're three kind of entities, that we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. The Bible doesn't really teach that. The words soul and spirit are actually interchangeable throughout the Bible. In fact, some of the same words are used to and translated for the same uh, for soul and spirit. We are a body with a spirit or a soul. We don't, we're not, as God is triune, people say, well, so are we, body, soul, and spirit. That, they have nothing in common other than that we are created in his image to know and to bear his glory and to reflect his love and to care for one another. We have the same attributes of of compassion, love, and desire to know each other. uh, The the other animals, uh, the animals do not have. But we are not a triune being. We are a body and we are a soul. And one day we will separate from this body. This glove of ours will go back to the dust and our soul will remain when it is referred to as something different, it's usually referring to our emotions or our will, not a separate entity. So there's death. The second D is this, the divide. We're going to talk about the great divide. There is a division that happens. Now, I've got this, this wood post to help me illustrate this, that there is a, a division that is to take place that is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, your body and soul will separate one day, but when it does, there's another division that will happen. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined or people are destined to die once, everybody say once, After that, they face judgment. We die once and we face judgment. What happens there, I want you to write this down. At this division, we will all face judgment. If you are a Christian, you will face judgment. If you are not a Christian, you will face judgment. We will all face judgment. For some of you, that judgment will be a good judgment. And for some, it will not be a good judgment. Paul says this to the church in Rome in chapter 14, verse 10. He says, for we will all, everybody say all. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. The word there is bema seat. Maybe you've heard of that word before. The bema seat of God. That's the word there in Romans. Second Corinthians, uh, Paul says it again to the church in Corinth in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, for we must all, everybody say all. We must all appear before the judgment seat or bema of Christ. For each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus echoes this in Matthew 25. There will be a day when we will all face judgment. Now, the Bible refers to, to three judgments in uh I'm going to explain what they are because maybe you've heard different versions of this and this is one of those non-essential things that we don't have to agree on, but there is a judgment. That is an essential The Bible describes uh, three types of judgments. One's known as the judgments of the goat and the sheep. And those are mostly found in the parables of Jesus where there's a separating of of, uh, those to the right, those to the left, the goats and the sheep. And then there's what's known as the judgment seat or the bema seat of Christ. And this is a judgment for Christians only where we will be judged and held accountable for the lives that we lived under Christ. That's the beamacy. If you're a Christian, you think you just got your hall passed to heaven and that you're good and you're set. You will have to give an account for the life that you lived in the name of Christ as well. So you will give an account for that. This is not a salvation judgment. This is a judgment based upon how you served and honored God, faithful in this life, and will... Uh, well, I'm not going to give it away because I'm going to talk about that next week. Next week's all about the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to we're going to talk more about this beam of seat. And then there is what's known as the judgment at the great white throne. And the great white throne judgment is actually a judgment for believers and non-believers. And it's only found in the book of Revelation. So let's read it. In fact, this part, if you're able to stand, I would love for you to stand while we read this part because there's a, a part of this that really it comes alive when you read it standing up. Revelation 20 verse 11 says this, "Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. We know this by earlier passages that one throne has the Lamb of God sitting upon it, Jesus Christ. It says, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. You can't hide from Jesus. And I saw the dead, great and small, great in stature or small in stature is what it means, standing before the throne. You're all standing right now. You'll have a day where you will stand before the throne of God. You will stand before Jesus. This is the great white throne judgment. And they were standing great and small and books were opened And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, someone says, is it literal book? Is there like, like, is it really gonna open up? Actually, the translation there is not book, by the way. The translation there is scroll, but it's translated as book because their scrolls were our books. But is it a literal book? Is there like a library of heaven with billions and billions and billions of scrolls and books and they're going to go, what's your name? Martinez, Uh, A, B, C, D, hold on. And you're uh, uh, Dante, you're Ezekiel Dante. I think you're the only one we have. Um, You know, yes, I see you're right. You're in the book. You're good to go. You have a reservation. Um, Is it a literal book? Well... I don't know. It could be symbolic, but we know this for a fact. A record is kept. Your name is accounted for, and your actions are on record. This is the idea here. It's not, don't focus on a literal book, you know, with, oh, the book of life. You know, this reservation book. It means that a record is kept, your name is on account, and there's nothing about your life that cannot be hidden as you stand before God. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, that means that those that were lost to see, that nobody knows where their bodies are at, they're going to be there. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. We're actually going to talk about that in a minute. That's the place of the dead. And each person was judged according to what they had done. That's our actions. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, that's salvation, was thrown also into the lake of fire. How do you get into that book? You know, there's no guest list plus one. You know, there's not like, yeah, she's with me. You know, the only person who can say that is Jesus himself. Are you with him? There's not a reservation that's set in, in somebody else's name and you're the plus one. How do you get your name in that book? You can be seated. There will come a day where you will stand. You will stand and you will give an account I believe that these three types of judgments personally, I believe that they all three refer to the same final judgment which is to come with all different outcomes. But regardless of whether you believe it's one, two, or three judgments, we can't lose sight of this. All of us, all of us will stand before Christ and give an account for our life. Second thing I want you to know about this great division is that we will all have a final eternal destination. We talked about this last week. God created us eternal beings. He created us and breathed life into us of abundant, eternal life. And because of the result of the sin, our body decayed, but our soul lives forever. And so there is a dilemma here at this moment that when we die, which we all eventually will, we will all stand before Jesus as we just read. And our eternal destination is only one of two places. Matthew 13, Jesus says this, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Malachi says this in Malachi 3.18. The majority of Jesus' parables all dealt with this. In fact, Jesus preached on the afterlife more than anybody else. And he actually preached on the afterlife more than any other message. In fact, the Bible says that he preached and traveled preaching the kingdom. That is the kingdom that has come and the kingdom that is to come. He says, the kingdom has arrived and it's also still to come. And he talked about hell more than any other topic that he talked about. He often said that there will be sheep and there'll be goats and they'll be separated. There are living fish and there were dead fish that will be separated. That there'll be those on my right hand and those on my left hand that will be separated. He often divides people between followers of Christ and those who do not follow. Matthew 25, 46, he says, those that do not follow will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Now this is important because a lot of people say, well, hell is, is uh, just a place where you cease to exist. It's annihilationism and you just don't exist anymore. Jesus has made very clear in many passages, we're gonna look at some of them, that as sure as our life is eternal, so is our punishment eternal. As sure as heaven is forever, hell is forever. And the reason is our souls are eternal beings. See, those that don't believe in an eternal punishment, their main issue is they don't believe in the eternity or the immortality of the soul. They believe that that's only a gift to those that are saved. But the Bible says that we are all immortals. Once we are created, we are born with this soul that is designed to live forever. And he says there'll be those cast into eternal Punishment, And if that's temporary, then so is heaven. But he says, no, it's eternal. And so is heaven. Heaven is eternal. Biblically, there is no purgatory. There's no waiting ground. There's no do-overs. There's no reboots. There's no work release programs. It's either everlasting life or everlasting punishment. So what are those destinations? There's death, there's division, and then there's destinations. What are those destinations? Well, there's only two of them. And in the afterlife, I want to explain. The afterlife in the Old Testament, this is the division line. This is the kingdom of heaven or eternal life and this is going to be eternal punishment. And you know, in the Old Testament, it doesn't talk about this at all. This doesn't even come up. Not at at all. This comes up. And in the Old Testament, they use the same word for a good place and a bad place. It's called Sheol, and it means the grave, the place of the dead. And when it's translated into English, when they reference the place of the dead, Sheol, and it's a bad place of suffering, they translate it hell. And when it's a good place, it's translated paradise or Abraham's bosom. But they're all the same word, Sheol. The Old Testament had no concept of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about why that is here in a minute. Jesus, God in the flesh, who created all things, brought clarification. And he preached on it more than anything else. He talked about it more than anything else. He had the authority and the power and the knowledge to explain it. He's the creator of it, so he did. And what he gave us was hope for the afterlife and clarity to a lot of misconceptions that they had. So destination A is everlasting life. We're gonna talk about this primarily next week. And uh, all I have to say about this is a lot of people don't believe, they want to believe in heaven. It's hard to believe in heaven, but most people think it's, it's just wishful thinking. While they think eternal life is wishful, they think eternal punishment is hateful. And so it is attacked as well, as much as heaven is but for different reasons. Many people say it's too harsh, man. How could a God who loves people ever send anyone to such a horrible place? It's unlikely. And when it's talked about, it's shared in such a sloppy manner that there's a complete misunderstanding of what happens and what it looks like and what it's like. And most of you, because churches are afraid to talk about it, you get your ideas from movies and from videos and from your own opinions and imaginations, So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna try to define, we're gonna use a lot of scripture, we're gonna define this afterlife of eternal punishment the best we can with what we know from the Bible. And hopefully it won't come across fearfully because we are not to be afraid of the afterlife, we are to be afraid of God. He said, the beginning of wisdom is not the fear of hell. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. When you know of his power, and the Bible says it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. When we know how great he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is, we have a reverent fear, an amazing awe of who he is. We're blown away by his love. We want to serve that. If you ever became a Christian because you're afraid of hell, well, that's not biblical, really. The beginning of knowing God is the fear of God, not the fear of hell. That's why he says, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but be afraid of the one God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. The fear is never meant to be on hell. So don't be afraid of hell. Be afraid of God. But if you don't fear God, you might find your place in hell. Many reject the biblical reality of its horrors and the urgency of its message. So I want to challenge us today to get a clear idea of the afterlife. There's different words for the Bible that the Bible gives for hell, and they don't all mean the same thing. So I'm going to give you a a real quick little rundown of different words translated hell in the Bible that actually mean something different. Uh, The first one is the one we talked about already is the word sheol. The word Sheol is found in the Old Testament primarily. It's a Hebrew word that means the grave. It means the afterlife. You know, when, when uh, the Bible says that it uh, talks about hell, it's the word Sheol. When it talks about paradise, it's the word Sheol. It's the place where the dead go, Period and they had no or little understanding of what happened there. It's also translated as the pit, or it's translated as as the underworld. There's a New Testament version of that in the new language that the society now spoke called Greek, and that word is Hades, and that's primarily the New Testament word. While Sheol means Old Testament grave, Hades means New Testament grave. It's It's the Greek equivalent. It's the underworld, the region of the departed. Auto power off. You can go ahead and power that off if you're able to and reboot it. The third one is this, and it's Jesus' most favorite word. Oh, it's only on there. I saw, I'm looking, I have a screen right here that mirrors that, so don't, regardless of what I said, just forget it. <laughs> the third thing that Jesus says, uh, in fact, it's the primary word that Jesus has used is the word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna is an actual place. There is an ancient sacrificial space or plot of land south of Israel where they would sacrifice during pagan days uh, to the God of Moloch. They would throw babies and infants and seniors and the sick and criminals into this pit. Once the place or the city was, was, uh, was in populated by Israelites, they began to see that place is cursed. And they began to throw their garbage into that pit. So that's the place in Israel where they threw all their garbage, uh, dead bodies, uh, rotten food. Um, Just, it was a wasteland. I want you to imagine for just a second, Gehenna in real life was a place of maggots and worms, burning flesh, Uh, the most repulsive odor that you could imagine. That was Gehenna. And Jesus often referred to the afterlife as a place like Gehenna. The garbage dump of the city. Well, there's a garbage, a cosmic garbage dump. And it's a horrible, fiery place of stench and nastiness. And, he, and Jesus, that was his reference. His most used word was the word Gehenna. In the New Testament, it shows up as the word Tataros. And the Tataros is what Peter used. And he says, there's a great abyss a hell where the devil will be cast into hell. That word is Tataros. It means the pit. It means the, the demon dungeon. And he said, it's the place, a cell reserved, especially for Satan and fallen angels. And then there's one word that's used primarily in the book of Revelation, and that's the word limpure, And basically that means lake of fire. And it's translated hell. But it's lake of fire, and that's a, an eternal state of punishment and burning. Um, and it's the final place. All of these words are translated hell, but they don't all mean the same thing. And they're not all the same place. So to understand hell, you have to kind of sometimes go a little bit into the word that's being translated. So what I want to try to give you is a big picture of hell. But before I do, I want to ask a few questions as to why hell? Why would God ever create hell? What's the deal with hell? It seems over the top. And today, because it's, today's going to be more teaching than it is preaching, because this is one of those things that it's got to be covered very, very gently and clearly. And I want you to know this first off, this is probably the most important thing you need to know. Hell was created by Jesus. He's the creator of hell. He made hell. John 1.3 says, through him, Jesus, all things were created. John 1.10, all things were made by him, Jesus. Romans 11.36, all things are for him, by him, through him, and by him. That's Jesus. Colossians 1.16, Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, for in him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, that's the spirit world. And all things have been created through him and for him. The spirit realm was created by Jesus for his purposes. Second thing you need to know is that hell is ruled over by Jesus. The ruler of hell is not the devil. The ruler of hell is Jesus. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 14, 10 says, They too, referring to those who are unbelievers... They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath, and they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lord. Jesus created it. He rules over it. He is the Lord of it all. His presence is there, but not in the way you would want, not in his joy and his peace and his pleasure. His presence is there in his righteous justice and judgment. He is there present as a consuming fire. Well, then where's the devil playing to all this? Well, hell was created to deal righteously with Satan. Why did God create hell? What is the purpose of hell? Listen, Satan was not contracted out to manage hell for God. Satan is not in hell right now. He doesn't want to be in hell. That's his final destination. He doesn't live there. He doesn't want to be there. He, he doesn't want to even talk about it. He, in fact, he would want you to not even believe that he even exists. The Bible says this. Jesus said, he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared or created for the devil and his angels. Satan is not in hell. He's not on a throne. The Bible says that Satan is on the earth, roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour and deceive and and to to fall from, from the knowledge of God. He is on a mission to get you to go to where he's ultimately gonna end up. Satan is not cute. He's not, you know, some kid's costume that's funny. He is the embodiment of evil. He is behind every addiction. He is behind every abuse, all violent activity and murder. He is behind fear and pain and every sin. He is the destroyer. He is the tempter. He is the deceiver. He is the father of lies and he hates you. He's not cute, but he's Lord of nothing. And he's God of nothing, and he's king of nothing, and he sits only on a throne of lies. Elf. (laughs) I know you guys were thinking about it. (laughs) The devil is a liar. And Satan, that's his final destination. He doesn't live there now. Hell was also created not only to deal righteously with Satan, but hell was also created to deal righteously with sinners. Who's a sinner? Look at your neighbor. But before you do, look at me. Because I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul in Thessalonians says, he will punish those who do not know and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. By the way, that covers everybody. What about the people who don't know? What about the people who've never heard? What about those in other parts of the world who are sincerely following the religion of their choice? He will punish those who do not know and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and set up from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That means away from His joy and pleasure. Instead, they'll know Him in His wrath. And on the day He comes to be glorified in his hol- uh, by His holy people, He will be marvelled at among uh, He will be marvelled at among all those who believe. You're like this. Just seems so unfair. How? This is why, heaven, why the, this notion of hell is so polarized. Everybody wants to believe in heaven, but nobody really wants to believe what the Bible says about hell. We hope it's not true. We hope that there's some kind of, you know, God graves on a curve or that maybe there's some, you know, kind of exception. See, the problem is, is not that God is bad. It's that we are born dead This is an issue. You say, why wrath? Why justice? God is holy. We are sinful. Sin is consumed in the light of his holiness. There is no love without justice. If you love, there is justice. If there is justice, there is love. You can't have one without the other. Jesus and the apostles give us a pretty clear picture of what hell or the afterlife looks like. And I want to give you a rundown of what they are there's unspeakable suffering. Revelation 14 says they will drink the wine of God's fury poured into full strength in the cup of wrath, a burning with the smoke of their torment that will rise forever and ever. And there will be no rest day or night. By the way, that is a conscious experience. It says, and they will have no rest day and night and their torment will rise like smoke for eternity. There's no escape and there's no end. You wish you could take your life, but there is no way to do it. Unsatisfied craving. Luke 16, Jesus uh, uh, was describing this experience with a man that was in the afterlife. And he's like, he's saying, he's calling out to another man. He's saying, please, please, if I could just dip my finger in just a drop of water and put it on my tongue, it's, it's tormenting here. It's so, uh, so hot, just a to, just to drop. He's in agony in this fire, and there is unsatisfied cravings. And Mark 9 43, by the way, there's extra uh, verses in your notes. Unquenchable fire says, where the worm never dies, and the fire is never quenched. And Revelation 20, where they're tormented forever and ever. Unknowable presence, that's the number four. It's an eternal separation from ones you love, eternally alone. In that passage in, in Luke 13, this man sees. His loved ones, but they cannot see him, and he has no access to anybody. No one can talk to him, and he can't talk to anybody. It's this is constant awareness of loneliness that never ever leaves. And the last one is it is unending. It is forever. It's an eternal, fixed destination. Revelation uh, nineteen and twenty says that there are those that will be cast into the lake of fire tormented day and night forever and ever that's the bible again we're reading this I don't like any of this I don't like the way any of this I don't like any of it well according to these verses it's darkness wailing sadness torment everlasting pain forever alone and no way to get out and some people are like, but that all just sounds really dumb worms come on you know, come on, worms, gnashing of teeth. You're a spirit. How can you have teeth? I thought that you leave your body behind and they're in hell as a spirit. They can't gnash their teeth. They don't have teeth anymore. And it says it's darkness, but yet there's fire. Fire emanates light. How can there be darkness? They're going to see everything. It's like fire everywhere, you know? Like this is all just, this is all just conjecture. How, how can, how can their flesh cry out? But there are spirits now. There, there's not any flesh and it's just, Thirst? Really, are they thirsty? How can you be thirsty if you're a spirit? Here's the point. These are symbols, and they are true. Symbols are a glimpse, and because they're only symbols, hell is actually a thousand times worse than what these symbols are able to convey. They are symbols, but they're literally true. Now, what I want to try to do is take the next few minutes, the finals, and give you an, an overall arc of the afterlife from Genesis to Revelation to the future. And I call it the big picture of the afterlife. And I'm gonna need some volunteers. So I'm gonna, uh, when I ask for volunteers, I'm, first service I had y'all all sit on the front row. I'm just gonna ask whoever come up. I think that would be more interesting. So here's the first thing. There's an Old Testament perspective of the afterlife. And it's this, if you wanna to go to that first slide, is that everybody goes to Sheol, that's it. You die, everybody goes here. But the Bible says there's a part of Sheol where there's blessing and a part of Sheol where there's suffering. And so the part of blessing called bosom Abraham, uh, Abraham's bosom or the bosom of Abraham is also referred to as a place of paradise. For example, Moses was in paradise. Elijah was in paradise. Job was in paradise. Uh, You know, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, Adam, take your pick. And you know, what's not mentioned in the Old Testament is the kingdom of heaven. And you know why? No one could go there. There was no way to get there. And there's no message about it. Everybody went to Sheol. And in this place of Sheol, that's where you just sat. Hopefully in paradise, not in suffering. So what I need is I need two volunteers to come up uh, right here for me. Uh, Two volunteers. Any two? Thank you, Tiny. Need another? All right, John, you can come up. Elijah, I'll use you in a minute. All All right, if you want to come up here. All right. Judgment, Sheol. Judgment, Sheol. All right see where you guys stand. All right. Um, beside each other. All right. You pick suffering and you pick paradise. All right. All right. So this is the afterlife. All right. When David said that he looks forward to seeing his, his baby that died in the afterlife and to hold him and, and be with his family, he was in, he was in paradise. All right. And this is, this is the afterlife in the Old Testament. That's all there was. There was no kingdom of heaven. And by the way, even the early followers of, of during Jesus' time, of, of God's word, debated on this. You ever heard of a Pharisee and a Sadducee? They debated on the afterlife. Pharisees believed in the afterlife, and the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. And if you get them confused, there's an easy way to remember that. The Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife, and that's why they were so sad, you see? I always think that's cool. Anyhow, it only works in English. (laughs) Yeah, try that at a a bilingual service. Um, So most people are still debating that very same thing today as the Sadducees and, and Pharisees. And then there is a New Testament concept. And this is what happens in the New Testament. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, one God of all eternity, He makes himself known and he comes to earth and he dies on a cross for our sin. He pays the price of our sin and suffering upon himself. He's buried and where does he go? He goes to Sheol. Now, he doesn't go to the suffering side of Sheol. The Bible says he goes to paradise in Sheol. He didn't go to hell and duke it out with the devil and sneak into his office and steal the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Because remember, the devil's not in hell. He's on the earth, seeking whom he may devour. This is the holding ground. And the Bible says that he told the man on the the cross next to him, the thief on the cross who called out to God, who called out to Jesus for mercy, he said, truly, this day, I'll see you in paradise. Jesus died. He went to paradise. Go to that next slide. Okay. So he goes here and the Bible says he preached the good news. The Messiah you've been praying for, that Messiah you've been preaching about, the one that you've been prophesying about and writing about your whole life, that's me. Right on. Hey, Moses, remember, remember that voice you heard at the burning bush? That was me. Moses would be like, I thought I recognized your voice, <laughs> right? He's like, yeah. The Bible says that he went there. Where does it say that? Well, look at Ephesians 4, 8. It says, when he, that is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. Meaning ascended when he uh, rose again from the dead and, uh, and made the ascension, that he took many captives from Sheol, all right? So here's what he did at the resurrection. Here, come with me. You're going with me now, all right? So they now make their place in the kingdom of heaven while those who are suffering still stay. He says, and he gave gifts to his people. That means he gave gifts of the Holy Spirit, to the remnant or to those redeemed on the earth. And he says, and what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Basically, that figuratively means the grave, Uh, literally Sheol, after the resurrection, he took the people of paradise to the kingdom. The lost remained. And then it says he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens. That means ascended not only the resurrection and the ascension, but to the king of all. He is the ruler of all in order to fill the whole universe. So he rescued those in paradise. First Peter it says this in three eighteen. Peter the disciple says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, us, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That means his spirit never died, but his spirit was alive and a life-giving spirit. After he was made alive, that means after he died, his spirit was alive. It says, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. It's a very obscure verse. But basically, it hints at this idea that he went with that other passage and what he said to the men on the cross. He went to paradise and proclaimed good news, and he set those captives free, and he rose with them. The cross was payment. It was the propitiation or the wrath satisfier of God. His shed blood save us, not a trip to hell. It was finished on the cross. It, nothing was finished in, in, in shale. Here's this next thing. The next season of life is there's the Old Testament, the New Testament. There, now there's now. Now when you die, there is an eternal punishment and an eternal life that you have the option of going to. Suffering in shale or now heaven, which is also called paradise now. So I need... Three more volunteers who will come up and meet me right here at the stage. Just three volunteers. When you die, you are judged. I'm not your judge, but I will pretend to be one today. Uh, And you will either go to eternal life or eternal punishment. So, Cherie, enter now into the joy of the Lord. Oh, dear. Uh, Oh, dear. Elijah. (laughs) Elijah. And I need one more volunteer. Where do you think you'll end up? I need one more person. This is not prophetic, by the way. This is not. I need one more volunteer. All right. You have been judged and you have been found wanting. All right. right. When you die in Christ, the Bible says now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. In Christ, you are in the kingdom of heaven. If you're not in Christ, you go to Sheol, a place of suffering and pain. But things will not always be like this. Because the Bible says he will come again, and there's going to be yet another change in this position. This is where we are now. If you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, you will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. If you do not believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, those who do not know and those who uh, disobey the gospel of the Lord, those that, that covers everybody, it says that in Thessalonians and you will find your place in eternal punishment. But this is what it says in Revelation 20 verse 14, that there's a lake of fire and a new earth and a new heaven to, that will happen. So Revelation 20 14 says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. See, this is first death. See, you died, boom, this is first death, all right? And it says, uh, and then all of this, Hades, Sheol, the grave, that place of suffering and death, it will be thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was also thrown into the lake of fire. That means if you're alive at the, at the last judgment, if you die at the return of Christ, or you come and you're still alive when Christ returns, then that is your final place as well. See, if you're born twice, born life, born again, you die once. But if you are only born once, deny Christ, then you will die so I'm going to ask you guys to just jump off the stage for me. That's the Lake of Fire. Stage <laughs> All right, so now this is the final eternal destination is the Lake of Fire. Thank you guys. I'm, you're released from, from hell. <laughs> and you guys are free to go as well. All right. Thank you. let's keep it up for our volunteers. They'd be great? In Revelation chapter two, Jesus starts off this letter to, uh, to the seven churches with John. In verse 11, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, that means the one who lives under Christ, will not be hurt at all by the second death. So the question is, who goes to hell? And the answer is, everyone without Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. Everyone without Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Seems like God is like some kind of cosmic torture machine. Let's see what Jesus said about it. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee came to him at night named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was drawn by this message of Jesus and he wanted to know what it was, what what it took to become right with God and to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus said in John 3, 3. He says, I re, he replied to Nicodemus, he said, very truly I tell you, he said, this is a fact, this is the truth. You see, in the Old Testament, when God spoke, they would say, thus says the Lord. Whenever Jesus spoke, he says, verily I tell you, because he's God. He says, verily I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In verse 5, he says the same thing. Jesus answered, verily, uh, very truly, I'm telling you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. That's a physical birth. And then born of the spirit. That's a spiritual birth, born again. This is why I preach. This is why I encourage you, as if you are a Christian, to be a missionary, to be a minister at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood, because you are the agent, the ambassador, the one who stands in the gap to preach this hope and life message that you must be born again. But some people, "Ah, hell, that just seems so intense. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? That's right. That's a really good question. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? You see, the issue is, is that it, it is your sin that guarantees your seat We are born dead. That is the problem. That's why God can't wink at sin. Uh, You try, get in here, you knucklehead. You know, you're a good old boy. You know, you're from the South. You didn't know what it meant to be racist. Come here, you. You know, God doesn't wink at sin because we are dead in sin. We're born sinners. And the problem is you. You are the problem. We've all sinned and fallen short. All of us have missed the mark. We're born dead in our sin. That's what we talked about last week. That's why we die at all. You know, there is no area in life where sincerity makes a bad choice right. You know, if you went in for a surgery and, and they took out something, an organ that they weren't supposed to take out and the doctor's like, man, I totally thought that that was the right one i'm so sorry you're gonna die but i'm really sorry you know if you're on an airplane and the pilot lands and says welcome to dallas and you walk out and you're in chicago he's like oh man i i for sure i thought that that last right was dallas i thought i was in dallas and now you're stuck in in chicago welcome to hell just kidding. Just kidding. A, that joke went better in this service than the last. I was like, thought I was gonna get stoned. Like, but making that, no matter how sincere you are, doesn't make that bad choice right. If you go to to uh, to get a pick up a prescription and, and they thought it was the right one and they put it in a bottle and, and you take it home and you start taking it and next thing you know, you find yourself deathly ill and you take it back and they go, oh, they are the same color. I really thought that it was, this, sorry, man, tough luck. Why do we think that somehow of all the things in life, the most important thing, our spiritual life, that we can somehow assume that sincere poor choices can end with good results. Why do we give that way, uh, give that leeway in that area? Will God give grace to those who have not heard? He did, it's the cross. That's why he calls us to be missionaries. That's why he says, go and preach the gospel to all people, to all creation. That's why he says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey what I have commanded. This is why he says, go. If it was just like, eh, you know what? They're a good person, they try, they're sincere, you know, then come on, you know, th- then why? Then what did Jesus die for? Why did he die if everybody got a free ride anyways? He did this on our behalf because we're dead in sin. The problem is not that God came to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And the cross is the the solution. I like to say that the Old Testament is the prognosis and the diagnosis. You're sick and you're going to die. That's all it does. All the Old Testament does is say that you need God and that we don't follow his commands and that we have a big problem with, with listening. Prognosis, diagnosis. The New Testament is the prescription. Jesus, take this and call me in the morning, right? Bow the knee to Christ and I'll see you in heaven. It's, just, it's, just, it's the prescription, the issue is the state of the spirit. We're born dead in sin. Jesus is not coming to, to to just make us good people. In the same conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said this in John 3, and we're going to wrap this up. Verse 13 of chapter 3, still talking to Nicodemus, says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. He says no one yet. Remember, this is before the cross. No one, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, all those, you know, OT gangsters none of them were in heaven they never even seen it only only Jesus himself who's who's the very essence of God has been there just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness that's a whole another sermon we preached on before so the son of man must be lifted up that's a picture of the cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him See, after the cross, heaven was now open to everyone who believes. So when you face judgment, eternal punishment, or eternal life, based upon whether you believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, God in the flesh, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that's hell, but have eternal life, that's the kingdom of heaven. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God... It's not here going, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. Sinner, 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 sinner. We are sinners, every one of us. But Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He didn't go, he didn't, he didn't just pull a lottery lever to see if your name was gonna be on the lotto ball of heaven and that maybe you'd be one of the lucky ones. He says, I didn't come to condemn you or to belittle you or to mock you or to drive you away from me. He says this, I've come to save you if you'll believe in what I've come to do. Verse 18, whoever believes in him, talking about himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Our sin guarantees us a reservation because they have not believed in the name of God what, uh, God's one and only son, Jesus. So without Jesus, we're already condemned. So how do you get in the Lamb's book of life? Well, you must be born again. So the question is, are you born again? Are you born a second time? Here's the amazing, incredible, good news. God doesn't want you to go to hell. This is the very reason why Jesus came. While we were yet his enemies, Romans says. While we hated him, he loved us and gave his life for us. This is love defined in Romans to pay for our sins. He's known as the propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. It's a fancy word that means wrath satisfier. Jesus satisfied the wrath of the father. Well that sounds so weird. Remember, the Trinity, Jesus, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, their unit, three persons, one God. It's a mystery. Discover living way, living the way. We talk about it if you want to dive into it. Jesus is not God's bubba. He's not God's, you know, offspring. People are like, "How could a loving father give his own son? That's morbid." Listen, God the Father became flesh, that is Jesus, the son. It means God in the flesh. Jesus is not God junior, half God, part God, you know, baby chair God, little seat God. He is fully God, 100% God in bodily form, Colossians one and two. He came, God himself bore our pain and suffering, the weight of all eternity of our sin, of our shame, of our sickness, he bore it all upon himself. Not a man alone, but the God-man, Jesus. This is why he came. Sadly, the majority of people will not get this. I'm gonna end with this verse right here. This is probably one of the scariest verses, I think, in the Bible. And this is one of those eye-opening verses that if you have friends and loved ones and family that you love, this is one of those verses that you just pray to God that it's a different outcome for you. And this is this. Jesus said this. He said, Matthew seven thirteen. enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I pray, God, let my family be part of the few, you know? Let my kids, let my, my daughters be in that few, you know? God, I want to be in the few. I give my life and pledge to live my life for you, saved by his grace alone. And I tell you, if I were the devil, I would try everything I could to convince you that hell is make-belief, and that it's imagined, and don't take it seriously, that it's fabled, and you can just do whatever you want, and you're going to be fine. But the reality is, hell is a place of wrath, a place of justice, and it's a place of love. You're like, how is hell a place of love? Because hell screams, look to the cross. Hell points to the cross, Hell is a sign saying, the cross, the cross, the cross. And the this vile, abusive, bloody, gory symbol of death is the most beautiful object of salvation and hope and mercy and love we'll ever see. That is why the cross is so beautiful. God is described as compassionate, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, The Bible says, God, it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. So I want to invite you, as we close the service today, I want to invite you to know the loving kindness of God, the cross of Christ. He loves you so much. He gave everything so that you would never have to have your own wrath. He took the wrath for you. You'll either pay the consequences of your life or you'll look to him who paid the sacrifice for our sin. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that uh, Lord, you're so good and you're so loving. God, thank you for your kindness, your loving kindness, your mercy and your compassion. God, I pray if there's anyone here right now, Father, that doesn't know you as their loving Lord and Savior, as the Father of their heart, God, I just pray that they would do that right now. Right, in your, right where you're sitting, right in your, with your own words, will you just take a moment and say, if that's you, if you say, I want the love of God, I understand the, the price that was paid and, and um, I'm just so humbled by it and you want to know for sure that amazing assurance of God that you are truly in good relationship with God, then then at this moment right now, will you just take a moment and just talk to Jesus? Say, Jesus, here's my life. In your own words, say, Jesus, here's my life. God, here's my heart. God, forgive me of my sin. Go ahead. Jesus, forgive me. I give you my life. I turn to you. Show me how to follow you, Jesus. Show me how to walk with you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life. Go ahead and tell them, God, you're so good.